Brothers and sisters, today's reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 23. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from there, the house of Obed-Edom, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and disturbed, dis distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, and a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we listen to what you have to say to us, I just pray that your spirit, who penned these words, would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beautiful things that you have to say to us. Change us, mold us, exalt Christ in us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, For those of you that don't know, I am Joshua Olson. I'm one of the elders um, and the newly appointed doc of Ironworks Church. That's Director of Congregational Care, the doc of Ironworks Church. Um, And uh, it's a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. Um, We are continuing in our series about the life of David called A Sinner After God's Own Heart. And um, I thought that I would jump into a completely non-divisive, completely uncontroversial subject like worship and music. It's completely uncontroversial in the church these days. Um, So how many of us have strong opinions when it comes to the method and structure of worship. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, Perhaps you really like traditional worship um, with hymns that are sung to a piano or organ. Or perhaps you prefer the latest top 10 Christian worship songs that are playing on the radio. Maybe you fit the pejorative description of the frozen chosen and you are a bit stoic in your worship, or perhaps you are a bit expressive in your worship, and maybe you even like sway back and forth and raise your hands, and may I dare even hold yourself back when you see the kids dancing, really wanting to join them. Well, I'll go ahead and just lay out my cards on the table for you. At Ironworks Church, we try to incorporate in our worship the best of Jonathan Edwards' book, The Religious Affections, along with a healthy but broad understanding of the regulative principle of worship. Um, This broad understanding can be found in John Frame's article, a fresh look at the regulative principle, a broader view. Um, Both of these resources will be text to you if you, in fact, said hey to that other number earlier. Um, The book is free. You can download it for free. You can download it as a Kindle book, as an iBook, um, or I think a PDF. And um, the article is just on a web page. So hopefully those things will be helpful to you as you think about Um, what it means to worship God in the church. Well, I think that our text really helps us to understand how we can properly worship God. So let's go ahead and dig in. In our story of David, we have kind of reached a a kind of pinnacle, a climax in the reign of David. 
The family of Saul has conceded the reign over to David, and David has since unified the states of Israel in the north and the state of Judah in the south. And now, as the capstone of his kingdom, the covenant kingdom, David wants to bring in to Jerusalem the, the ark of the Lord and establish Jerusalem as the center of worship, as Mount Zion. And in our scripture passage, we have two stories of the ark's journey towards Jerusalem. And both of them kind of end in a bit of a tragedy. But they both teach us incredibly valuable lessons about who God is, about what it means to worship God, and what true leadership looks like. Um, as we go along, um, we'll look at three different points. First, in the ark's first journey, we'll see that God's holiness is demonstrated. Then we'll take a short break, because the ark takes a short break, and we'll see that God's blessing is in his presence. And then third, as the ark takes its second journey towards Jerusalem, we'll see that God's servants should worship in humility and freedom. So, the ark's first journey begins in Baal Judah, where it has been guarded by Abinadab's son, Eliezer. So Eliezer had been entrusted with the guardianship of the ark, um, and it has been in Abinadab's household for about 20 years. And so for 20 years, Eliezer has been taking care of the ark. And now David gathers the chosen men of Israel, about 30,000 uh, men to join him in procession of the ark. And it is interesting that the author pauses to just tell us that the ark is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned upon the cherubim. So in other words, the ark is like the throne of God. Or it's often referred to even as his footstool just because the people didn't want to bring God that God down that far. He sits on the throne in heaven, and the ark is just his footstool. But the ark represents God's very presence with his people. And that is exactly why David wants to bring it to Jerusalem, to establish Jerusalem as Mount Zion, so that the Lord could sit on his throne upon Mount Zion, and it become the center of worship. So Abinadab and his sons, Uzzah and Ohio, which, by the way, could just mean Uzzah's brother. It is a proper name, but it also could mean Uzzah's brother, which means it could be Eliezer. But we'll go ahead and just say that it's Ohio. Um, Uzzah and Ohio carry the ark of God on a new cart driven by oxen, um, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ohio are both driving the cart. Ohio is in the front and Uzzah is in the back. Um, and David, and it says, the whole house of Israel were celebrating. And what's interesting, this word actually could be 
translated making sport or play before the Lord. And the translators of this text kind of buffed out some of the weirdness that's found in this text. So um, our text says that he was singing songs um, uh, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Really what it says there is that they have spears of firwood, sticks of firwood. So I get this idea with this this idea of celebrating or making play or sport with javelins. So it's like David and his bros playing around with sticks. And there's some people singing and making music as well. So kids, what I want you to do for your first drawing is I want you to draw the oxen carrying a cart with the ark on it and there's a party going on in the background. Just a bunch of people partying. <clears throat> Go ahead and draw that. However, the party comes to an abrupt halt when the oxen stumble over a rock. And the ark begins to fall from the, ark, from the cart, and Uzzah dies to seize the cart, and everyone cheers, right? No. The anger of the Lord is kindled, and God strikes Uzzah down, and he dies there right beside the ark. And David is angry, and David is terrified, and he's thinking, this is serious. God means business, and we cannot make light of God. As the author of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so David names this place Peraz Uzzah, which means the breaking out against Uzzah. And so David is afraid of the ark, and he's afraid of God in his presence. And he cries out, how could the ark of the Lord come to me? So what are we supposed to make of this? Is God terrible? Yes. God is Terrible. In the literal sense, God strikes terror into the heart of David. But is God bad? No. No. God is good. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And if one dares to come into his presence, he or she had better be pure, had better be righteous, had better be just or good. And so God has actually graciously warned his people before this that this exact thing would happen. In Numbers chapter 4, 
verse 15, it says, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sends out, so this is the time when uh, the people are on the march towards the promised land, and so the, the sanctuary is portable. So Aaron and his sons are basically packing up the sanctuary so they can set out. And after that, it says, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. God has warned his people that this exact thing would happen. And that's why he told them that they should carry the ark on poles through the holes in the the side of the ark so that no one would touch the ark. There's also the story of how the ark came to Abinadab's house. So it's been there for 20 years. How did it get there? It came, uh, the story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 6, and it says that uh, the Lord had struck down 70 men of Beth Shemesh simply because they looked at the ark of the Lord. And the people in that city of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go away from us? And that's when the Philistines basically cried out and asked Israel to take the ark back. And that's exactly what they did. They took it back to Abinadab's house. But you can see that God is holy and he demands holiness. God is set apart. He cannot tolerate sin or sinful people unless they come purified. And that's why in the Old Testament, we see so many elaborate purification laws. And the priests themselves took great care to purify themselves before they went into the holy place. They purified themselves. They purified their clothes. They purified even the utensils that they were going to use. And what this means, Ironworks Church, is that we need to take God seriously. And we need to take his worship seriously. And that means what God commands us to do in worship, we will better do exactly what he commands. And what God forbids in worship, we had better forbid. We cannot come flippantly to the throne of God. If we do, we put ourselves, we put our family, we put even our church in grave spiritual danger. And you can tell that this has an effect on David. Um, In the Psalms, he writes, in Psalm 119, he writes this, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. And in Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you can be feared, so that you can be worshipped. And friends, Jesus takes you coming to God and worship seriously, so seriously that he becomes Uzzah for you. 
the Lord's wrath breaks out on Jesus so that you can come to God freely. It's Jesus' life, his blood, and his death that satisfies God's demand for holy perfection so that you can worship God freely and reverently. So friends, what we've seen so far in the ark's first journey is that God is holy and he demonstrates his holiness through striking Uzzah down. Next, what we'll see is God's blessing comes with his presence. David, in terror, sends the ark away, and it ends up at the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is from the family of Korah, the the actual Levites that were supposed to be carrying um, the ark from the town of Gath-Rimon, which is why he's called a Gittite. The ark of the Lord is there for about three months, and the Lord takes up residence with Obed-Edom, and he blesses Obed-Edom, and he blesses his household, and he blesses all that belongs to him. Why? Because the ark of God's presence was with him. So kids, for your second drawing, what I want you to do is I want you to draw a house with a big treasure chest inside full of gold and jewels. God's blessing comes to the house of Obed-Edom. And this is kind of a jarring uh, contrast, right? We see Obed-Edom getting blessing after blessing in God's presence, and yet Uzzah is dead. God's presence, when we come rightly, is a huge blessing. But when we come flippantly, is dangerous. And that's why we can read statements like this. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Do not be frightened or dismayed, because I am with you. Or, as David says, you make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And so I would ask you, Ironworks Church, Do you long for God's presence? Do you seek after him? Can you say with David, you fill me with joy in your presence? And so we see that God blesses Obed-Edom with his presence. Next, as we look to the ark's second journey towards Jerusalem, we will see that God's servants must worship him in humility and freedom. David quickly receives word that Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him has been blessed by the Lord. And David now understands that if he takes God seriously, and approaches God in the way that he prescribes, it will lead to joy and blessing. And so David leads, once again, this procession with rejoicing. And the Kohathites now bear the ark 
of the Lord with poles as instructed by the Lord. And before they can even take seven steps, David stops to offer a sacrifice of an ox and a fattened animal to the Lord. And you can see that this second journey of the ark towards Jerusalem is paved and prepared the way through sacrifice. And so David is saying, we need to take God seriously. And when we offer to God the appropriate sacrifice, we can come into his presence. When we do what God says, we can worship him freely and joyfully. And so David dances before the Lord with all his might, wearing a linen ephod. So kids, for your third drawing, draw yourself dancing and singing to the Lord, just like you did a little bit earlier uh, in the service. And it's through much pomp and circumstance, sacrifice and festivities that the ark makes its way to Mount Zion, the city of David. David is leaping and singing and shouting with joy. When was the last time that you did that? Now, if, if you are saying in your mind that the last time I really did that was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, um, we do have some counselors available for you after the service. We have a prayer group that will be praying for you. Um, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. But seriously, like oftentimes we get so worked up about things that ultimately don't matter. And we fail to get worked up about the things that matter for eternal, for eternity, rather. And we also see that this, this story is not without its own tragedy. As the ark comes into the city, Michal, Saul's daughter, and David's wife, looks out and sees the king uh, playing parkour. The king is, is leaping, he's, he's jumping, he's like leaping over buildings like those guys that play parkour on YouTube. Look it up later. Um, and, and dancing, and she is looking out, and she just despises this in her heart. And when David returns to bless his own house, Michal corners him and says something rather strange. She says, oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today, just uncovering himself right before female servants as a vulgar person would uncover himself. And, and I'm thinking, what on earth is she talking about? David is not naked. He is not naked. In fact, the text explicitly says that while David is doing this, he's wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod is a priestly attire or a servant of the Lord's attire. David didn't become naked. He merely took off his kingly robes and put on the robes of a servant of the Lord. And Michal is most likely humiliated that David would take off his kingly robes as he enters into the city. 
and taking on the robes of a minister. And, and what we see here is what happens frequently when we get in an argument, right? <clears throat> Bitterness, anger, hurt lead to extreme exaggeration. And so she's like, even though he's just running around in um, a priestly attire, she's like, you were naked. You just showed yourself all over to these servants. And I'm not sure about you, but there have been times when I get in an argument and I say things that are ridiculous and not true. They're exaggerations, right? And that's what Mikal is doing here. And David responds to Mikal by saying this. Listen, it's before the Lord who chose me over your father and over his house to appoint me as ruler over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. And I made myself a little bit of a different translation just because I think that it gets a little bit better at what's happening here. He says, I will make myself a little lower than this so much that I will be a servant in my own eyes. But in the eyes of the maidservants that you spoke of, I will be honored. And the root word there is kavod, glory. I will be glorified in the eyes of these maidservants. But for me, I am just a servant. I am lower than a servant. And tragically, Michael is, Mikal rather, is without a child her whole life. This is one of the greatest sources of shame that an Israelite woman could experience in this era. So what can we glean from this? There are a few things. One, Michal and Saul, <clears throat> who attempts, <clears throat> sorry, Michal, like Saul, attempts to enforce a man-made rule on worship. So if you remember, Saul was instructed to go to a place and wait for Samuel and Samuel was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. But Samuel got impatient, and he offered the sacrifices himself. And God was very, very displeased with this because he took it upon himself to do what he thought was right but was not what was commanded by God. We cannot make man-made rules and impose them on worship. This brings shame, and it brings curse so if you are one of these people who wants to impose a man-made rule on worship, beware that this brings shame and it brings curse. Second, David humbles himself freely and joyfully before God. And this is, what, this is something that we should emulate Instead of asking, how can the worship service serve me and make me feel good, it should be, how can I serve God? How can I serve others in my worship? And so, kids, for your last drawing, what I want you to do, I want you to draw a king 
laying down his crown before the throne. Lastly, what we can glean from this is that David gives us an incredibly vivid picture of who Jesus is. As David laid aside his kingly robe for the robe of a priest and offer sacrifices of worship, Jesus, whose splendor we cannot fathom, laid aside his heavenly, kingly glory to become the servant of the Lord. And as a servant, Jesus was made lower yet, lower than a servant, as he faced disgrace upon disgrace, the disgrace of the cross, the disgrace of actual nakedness for everyone to see as he's hanging on the cross, the disgrace of mockery of those who should have esteemed him, mocking him as he hangs on the cross, the disgrace of your and my sin hanging upon his shoulders, and the disgrace of God's wrath being poured out on him. And Jesus did this because he takes God's holiness seriously. And he did this because he wants you to be able to come into God's presence and experience blessing for you, for your household, and everything that you do. And he did this because he wants you to experience unbounded joy in God's presence, just like David did. And one day, friends, we cling to our faith in Christ. One day, we will receive a crown. And on that day, when we stand before the throne that Jesus sits upon, we will take that crown that we have received and we will bow and lay our crown at the feet of Christ who loved us, who saved us, who purified us, who made us worthy to come into the presence of God Almighty. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are holy, that you are serious, and that you are gracious and merciful. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that we could enter freely into the presence of God. Thank you that we can now know that our eternity is secure. Thank you that we can now experience the blessing of God's presence and know joy that is unbounded, joy that will last for all eternity and will only become greater and greater as we know and experience the love and the person of God forever. Lord, we worship you now in 